Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank Indeed for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Indeed.com helps you find quality candidates with Indeed's instant match. You can get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Peter. Terms and conditions apply. This offer is valid through March 31st. What a day. So much to discuss, and I might as well just do it all chronologically, starting with the special elections that we had yesterday in Georgia. We got the results late last night, early this morning, and unfortunately, the Democrats took both of the Senate seats. It was pretty clear that it was going to be a winner-take-all. It was hard to believe that voters would split the ticket when really people were voting for who they wanted to control uh, the United States Senate. Did you want the Democrats to control or did you want the Republicans? And since that was the the rationale behind the vote, it, it wouldn't really make sense that people would just vote for the candidates. They were really voting for the party. And so that's why it was either going to be the Republicans winning both or the Democrats winning both. And it ended up being the Democrats. And if you're looking for somebody to blame for this loss, I think the one person that is the most to blame is President Donald Trump. And I criticized Trump the day he stabbed any relatively fiscally responsible And again, I put that in quotes because I don't know that any Republicans really are still fiscally responsible, but clearly on a relative basis, there are some that are less irresponsible than others. And whoever those Republicans are, Donald Trump stabbed them in the back in a very visible way when he threatened to veto the stimulus bill which of course he didn't follow through with. But the reason he said he wanted to veto it was because it wasn't generous enough. He didn't think a $600 check was big enough and he wanted everybody to get a $2,000 check. And of course he didn't care how much larger the deficits would be to make those checks possible, right? To make sure they didn't bounce. He didn't care how much money the Federal Reserve was gonna have to print so the checks wouldn't bounce. He wanted Americans to get $2,000 checks. Now, that put Senate Republicans 
in an untenable position where they were the only thing standing between voters and a $2,000 check. Because as soon as Donald Trump made the selfish mistake of grandstanding about how he was the one that wanted to give everybody a $2,000 check, as if he was writing the check out of his own bank account, it's easy to be generous with somebody else's money. But Donald Trump said, I want $2,000. And Nancy Pelosi, being the good politician that she is, right, immediately seized on the opportunity that Trump handed her to immediately call for a vote in the House of Representatives, unanimous consent to agree with the president and deliver additional checks, a $2,000 check to every voter. And the only reason that that didn't happen was because you had Republicans in the United States Senate that didn't want as big a hole in the deficit, right? <laughs> Not that there already isn't a gaping hole in there anyway, but I guess they had to draw a line somewhere. And so they said, that's it. We're not going to do these $2,000 checks. It's too much borrowed money. It's too much money printing. It's not necessary. You know, we're not going to give checks uh, to people who don't need it. And and so they stopped the, the checks. And that opened up a great window of opportunity for uh, President-elect Joe Biden because he basically was able to frame the Georgia election as a referendum on those checks. Biden actually bribed the electorate, the voters, by basically saying, hey, if you want your $2,000 check, you need to vote Democrat. If you vote Republican and the Senate stays in Republican hands, you're not going to get your $2,000 because those greedy Republicans won't uh, sign on to the legislation. But if you send two new Democrats to Washington that will approve of the $2,000 checks, then I'm going to sign them and they're going to be in the mail. So in other words, the voters were bribed. You get $2,000 if you vote Democrat. I mean, that's basically what it came down to. The swing voters came into the booth and they saw Democrat Republican. And basically the mindset was, I vote Democrat, I collect $2,000. I vote Republican, I don't collect $2,000. That was it. And for a lot of people, it was an easy decision. Collecting $2,000 is a lot better than not collecting $2,000. And so that's what people voted for. Remember, an election is an advanced auction on the sale of stolen goods. And in this case, it was an advanced auction on $2,000. And people voted to collect the $2,000. They didn't have to pass go. All they had to do is vote Democrat and they got $2,000. And you know what? They voted Democrat and they're going to get $2,000. The question is, what's that $2,000 going to buy? Probably not very much. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later in the podcast when I go over the markets. But the bottom line is, these losses can be blamed on Trump. And, you know, I've taken a lot of flack from a lot of uh, Trump supporters over the years because I have been very critical of Donald Trump, despite the fact that I voted for Trump. And I liked a lot of the things that Trump said as a candidate. I just didn't like what he did as president. Now, there were some things I liked. It's not like I, I disliked everything that Trump did. But the most damage that Donald Trump did was move the Republican Party to the left. And that allowed the Democrats to go further left without looking radical. Because now a lot of these socialist policies that once upon a time looked radical now look more mainstream when you compare them to where the Republican Party is now compared to where it used to be when, you know, there was the Tea Party. The Republican Party is the party of big government. They're the party of deficits and the party of inflation, the party of protectionism, right? And so all that is different. And this really enabled the, the, the Democrats to now... They're going to get a lot of stuff done that they might not have been able to get done had Trump not shifted the Republican Party. And what makes me so upset about the shift is so many conservatives don't even realize it happened. They still think Donald Trump is their champion of, you know, fiscal responsibility and limited government and sound money when he is none of those things.
And before I get to the protests uh, that went on later in the day, today in Washington, D.C., I want to go back and look at the way the stock market and all the markets, for that matter, reacted to this surprise because it really was a surprise. Most people expected the Republicans to win. In fact, up until the last few days, the Republican candidates were ahead in the polls and in the betting markets, they were way ahead. If you looked out and predicted, uh, they were the favorites. Now that started to change. The polls actually flipped before the betting markets. But then, of course, you know, a lot of people have been trained when it comes to Trump, just ignore the polls because the polls aren't right. Uh, But then last night, the betting market turned early in favor of the Democrats. But these results were a surprise. So you have now complete control of the Congress in Democratic hands. This is the first time since 2009 that the Democrats have had the White House and both houses of Congress. Now, the reason that they were able to gain control in 09 was because of the financial crisis in 2008. Everybody blamed that on Bush. Everybody blamed that on the Republicans. And so all of that benefited the Democrats who were going to clean up the mess. And that's how they they got control of both houses of Congress and the White House. And now, you know, the economy is a disaster once again. Uh, This time, the Republicans were the incumbents, so they got blamed. And now uh, the power has shifted to the Democrats. What are the Democrats promising? More government, right? They're promising the opposite of what Trump promised. Now, Trump delivered more government, but he didn't promise it. The Democrats are promising more government. And you can bet your bottom dollar they will keep that promise, right? That's one thing you could trust. Democrats will keep their promises when it comes to making government bigger and making it more expensive. And they're also going to keep their promise about raising taxes on corporations and the rich. They're going to do that. Now, they've also promised not to raise taxes on the middle class and the working poor. They are going to do that. Although the tax may take the form of inflation, but it's still a tax that's going to be paid by average Americans, whether the Democrats want to fess up to it or not. But let's just focus from the perspective of the markets on higher taxes on corporations and the rich. And it's not just higher taxes that are going to burden corporate America, but more regulation. Trump campaigned on reducing regulations. And to an extent, he did reduce some. I think he could have gone a lot further than he did. But one thing Trump didn't do is come up with a lot of new regulations to put on top of the ones that were already there. That's one of the reasons that we got a rally early in the Trump administration was the relief of no more regulations, right? Now, there was a lot of new regulations that were coming out during the Obama years. And so Trump stopped doing that. He stopped piling on more damage. And in fact, there was some regulatory relief. So that was a benefit for the stock market as well as the corporate tax cuts. Well, the incoming administration has already promised to reverse those tax cuts and introduce more regulation. None of this is good for the market. So as a result of an outcome that wasn't expected, and remember, one of the reasons that the market hadn't gone down following the loss by Trump was the fact that everybody believed, well, at least the Republicans are going to have the Senate, right? The Republicans are going to have some kind of break on the Democratic agenda. And so that was the firewall that was supposedly going to protect everything. So the market had rallied on the fact that at least the Republicans were going to hold the Senate. Well, that, that, that hope is gone. They don't have the Senate anymore. So what happened to the U.S. stock market? It rallied. In fact, at one point, the Dow was up better than 600 points. The big move was in the Russell 2000, which at its highs was up better than 5%. It closed up just under 4%, so still a big day in record territory. The Dow Jones also uh, in record territory. We actually traded above 3,100 intraday, uh, but we didn't close there. We closed at 30,829. That's a record. The S&P also, 
Also a record, but not as big a percentage gain. It ended up just over a half a percent. The only index not to set a record, in fact, actually closing in the red, was the NASDAQ, which was actually down 0.6 of a percent. And it was led lower by the tech stocks. And the reason all the tech stocks got slammed is the increasing rhetoric between the U.S. and China, with now the U.S. threatening to delist some of the Chinese tech stocks like Baidu or Tencent, which, by the way, we sold. I mentioned that on the podcast, my last podcast. We owned those stocks in our managed accounts, and we sold them precisely because we were afraid of this rhetoric heating up. We also got rid of our... uh, at China Mobile. What did we do with the money? Exactly what I said. We increased our positions in resource stocks. We added to energy. We added to agriculture, right? We're trying to get more inflation hedges because those are the stocks that are really going to be the beneficiaries of the monetary and fiscal policy that is being unleashed. But why was the market up? Why wasn't the Dow down 600? Why wasn't it down 1,000? This is clearly bad news. I mean, if the stock market rallied because of Trump and deregulation and tax cuts, if now we're going to have re-regulation and tax hikes, now we have a smooth sailing uh, for the Biden administration to undo the supposed benefits of the Trump administration, why is this good news? And the reason is pretty clear. It should be anyway, certainly to people who listen to this podcast. Look, the only thing that the Democratic Congress means, right, it's a threat to corporate earnings. Higher taxes and more regulations are going to reduce corporate earnings. But who cares about corporate earnings? People aren't buying stocks because of their earnings. People couldn't care less about corporate earnings. The other thing is that a Biden presidency with a Democratic Congress, it means that the economy is going to be weaker than it otherwise would have been had there been bigger obstacles in Congress to Biden getting his legislation passed, right? So the economy is going to be weaker than it otherwise would have been, and corporate profits will be lower than they otherwise would have been. But who gives a damn? None of this matters in this market. The only thing that matters is because the Democrats have the Senate and the House, that means the budget deficits are going to be larger. And of course, the economy being weaker also means the deficits will be larger, but increased government spending because bigger programs will be passed. So we have much bigger deficits, either because of increased spending or a weaker economy, which decreases revenue. So we have bigger deficits. What does that mean? That means the Federal Reserve is going to print even more money to finance those deficits. And that is the reason the stock market is up. It is money printing. It is inflation that is driving the stock market. Part of the proof is that what are the stocks that did the best? Resource stocks. Look at oil stocks. They are on fire. In fact, oil prices closed above $50 a barrel. This is the first time they've been above 50 since the market collapsed uh, when the pandemic began, I think back in February, March. Uh, Now we're back above that level. Part of that had to do with Saudi Arabia yesterday announcing production cuts unilaterally. This is going to help limit supply as demand is returning. But across the board, look at the base metal stocks. Look at the agriculture stocks. These stocks are on fire. We're seeing huge moves in the resource sector. This is inflation driven. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, yes, some of the smaller stocks rallied today as well. You actually had the banks, the regional banks had a big day. But the reason the banks went up is because you had a huge increase in interest rates. 
long-term interest rates went way up because treasuries got clobbered. In fact, the yield on the 10-year is now back above 1%. Now, (laughs) that sounds low, and in absolute terms, it is low. But in relative terms, the yield on the 10-year treasury earlier this year was below 40 basis points. Now it's at 1.04 approximately, so over a percent. So even though we're low, in relative terms, we're much higher than we used to be. And what's more important is the trend. I mean, we could see an explosive move up in interest rates. Now, the only reason we may not see an explosive move up in interest rates is because the Federal Reserve doesn't let it happen, because the Federal Reserve interferes in the bond market by printing even more money to buy even more bonds to prevent rates from rising. But here is the irony of the whole situation. Bond prices are falling and rates are rising because inflation is accelerating and because the market realizes that the Democrats having the Senate means even more deficits, bigger deficits, more money printing. In fact, everybody is talking about infrastructure bills, right? Well, if you're going to spend money on infrastructure, you're buying copper, you're buying steel, you're buying nickel, you're, you know, lumber, all these things are going to get more expensive if we just print all this money and then go into the marketplace and try to buy this stuff. So inflation is driving this market. But if the Federal Reserve, in an effort to prevent inflation from driving interest rates higher, creates more inflation to prevent rates from going up, Then whatever was causing people to worry about inflation and sell bonds, now they're worried even more. Now the Fed is creating more inflation. They're literally fighting fire with fire. Bond prices are falling because investors are worried about inflation. And so the Fed creates more inflation to prevent bond prices from falling. And now investors have even more to worry about. This is the catch-22. This is the situation that's going to unravel. Now, People initially look at this as being positive for banks because they think, oh, the banks are going to make money again, rates are rising, and they're ignoring what higher rates are going to do to the loans that the banks have already made. I mean, you have a ticking time bomb here, particularly in the commercial real estate sector. So I would be fading this rally in the banks. I mean, I think I would completely ignore it. But where the rallies are real and where the rallies are going to continue is in the resource sector and internationally in foreign stocks. The decoupling that I talked about in my last podcast is here. It is real. You're seeing it now between the momentum stocks and the value stocks, but the international markets are far outperforming. It's not even close. I haven't seen a divergence this big. Now, of course, we're only, what, three trading days into the new year, but so far, this is a massive divergence between international stocks and domestic stocks, especially when you adjust for the currencies because the dollar continues to fall. The dollar index now 89.4. This is a new low for the move today. Dollar clearly reacting the way you would expect to the news, bigger deficits, more money printing. The more dollars we have, the less those dollars are worth. And so they're going down. And then that's what's driving the stock market up. If you're using anything other than Indeed for your hiring, you're wasting your time. You can hire great people faster with Indeed. You only pay for the results. And that means you can get back time in your schedule. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates instantly with instant matches. So you can do the part you really need faster, meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there's no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. And with Instant Match, you see a list of great candidates with zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners can get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. This is Indeed's best available offer anywhere. You can get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Peter. Indeed.com slash Peter. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The one market that probably is confounding 
a lot of my listeners is the gold market. Gold sold off. In fact, at one point today, gold was down over $40 an ounce. It did manage to repair some of those losses, but it still ended up down a little over $30. As I'm recording this, it's down about $32, just under $1,920 an ounce. We did get above $1,950 this morning. I think I saw the high close to $1,960 an ounce, but not quite. But then we got a big sell-off. We had a sell-off in silver as well. Now, if the Fed is going to be creating all this inflation, why isn't gold an inflation hedge benefiting from this? Well, first of all, we did have a pretty big rally in gold on the first trading day of the year. So we simply have pulled back a little bit since then. But I think the rationale uh, for traders was, number one, hey, look at the market. The stock market is doing great. Stocks are way up. We want to be risk on. Why do we need gold? Gold is risk off. We buy gold when we're worried about the stock market. Who's worried? Everything is great. Uh, and so we don't need a hedge. We're just going to buy more uh, non-gold stocks. So that was part of it. The other part was the big increase in interest rates. Again, people always equate rising interest rates as being bad for gold, especially if you think the Fed is going to hike rates, short-term rates. That's really bad for gold. You're increasing the opportunity cost of owning gold. And so people look at gold as the inverse of rates. If rates go up, then that's bad for gold. Well, again, traders are overlooking the fact that the Fed is not going to raise rates. It doesn't matter what's happening to inflation. The Fed's not going to fight it. It doesn't matter what's going on with long-term rates. The Fed's not going to raise short-term rates. The other factor that the markets are overlooking is that even though long-term rates are rising, these are nominal rates. The inflation rate is rising faster than interest rates. So even though nominal rates are rising, real rates are falling. That is bullish for gold. And in fact, even though gold was down better than $40 an ounce intraday, we didn't see a lot of weakness in the gold stocks. In fact, a lot of the gold stocks managed to close the day positive. Even though gold was down over $30, the GDX itself, the index, was just down slightly. And the GDXJ was down a little bit more, but nothing like you would expect with this big a drop in the price of gold. I think, though, that traders are going to quickly take another look at this, and the initial knee-jerk reaction is going to be the wrong reaction, and people are going to pile back into gold and gold stocks probably as early as tomorrow. Because clearly, everything that is happening is extremely bullish for gold and silver. Now, I'm not going to overlook Bitcoin, which made a new high. In fact, it got above 35000 early this morning and then later in the afternoon got above 36,000 both of those levels new milestones for the digital currency in fact I was watching on CNBC probably one of the most interesting interviews and relevant interviews I've actually seen in I don't know how long on that network was with a former Fed governor Kevin Warsh and this guy said some you know really good stuff that probably went way over the heads of the anchors on CNBC and most of the audience. But this guy was talking about China and the big problem the U.S. had with China because he pointed out that China used to be the biggest buyer of U.S. treasuries and that they're no longer buying. In fact, they're selling. And in fact, what he pointed out is not only is China not lending us money, but China is going to other countries that are lending us money and convincing them to lend the money to China instead. So instead of China exporting capital to us, they want to import the capital from other countries who used to export capital to us. Because remember, we are running record trade deficits, record budget deficits. We depend on the creditor nations to finance them. Well, not only is China not helping to finance ours, but they now want to borrow from the same creditors that we were borrowing from. So they're competing for that money and they're offering a higher rate of interest than we can afford to pay. This is a game changer. And this guy mentioned that the big buyer now for U.S. Treasuries is not China, it's the Federal Reserve. And there's a big difference because when China buys our treasuries, they don't print money to do it. When the Federal Reserve does, that's the only way they can do it. So if the Fed is financing deficits, it's inflation. 
when China was financing our deficits, it was actually almost deflation because by financing our deficits, China was working to keep import prices down. Americans were benefiting from the Chinese government buying our bonds because it meant that consumer prices were cheaper. Imports to China were more affordable. But when the Chinese are no longer doing this, and instead the Fed is printing money to buy these bonds, then Americans are going to feel the impact of inflation. And that is what you're already seeing in the market, and it is going to continue. But these were very ominous words uh, that this guy was speaking. And of course, the only thing that uh, the the interviewer, I think it might have been Sorkin, I forget who it was who was interviewing him, but the minute he started talking about inflation and a weak dollar, all of a sudden, He's at, oh, Bitcoin. The guy says, what do you think about Bitcoin? This sounds like it's great for Bitcoin. This sounds like you're recommending that people buy Bitcoin. Right now, this guy, Kevin Warsh, never would have mentioned Bitcoin at all if it wasn't for the CNBC anchor bringing Bitcoin into the conversation. He didn't bring gold into the conversation. He immediately brought Bitcoin into the conversation, which is what every CNBC anchor is trained to do, right? They have to do that. They have to ask everybody who comes on about Bitcoin. Right? Because that's what their advertiser needs. That's what Grayscale needs. They need to keep pumping up Bitcoin. So they're saying, oh, you're saying there's going to be a weak dollar. There's lots of inflation. People should buy Bitcoin. So now that the guy's been asked about Bitcoin, he actually said, well, yeah, you know, I think this certainly feeds into demand for Bitcoin. Uh, people are looking to get out of the dollar and so they can buy Bitcoin. So now he's kind of talking the Bitcoin playbook. And he even brought up gold and he said, you know, I think gold would be much stronger than it is right now if it wasn't for Bitcoin. He said, if Bitcoin hadn't arrived on the scene, I think gold would be much stronger than it already is. And he thinks that some of the demand that would normally go into gold is going into Bitcoin. And to a degree, that may be happening. I think what's probably happening to a greater degree is some people aren't buying gold or Bitcoin, right? They might buy gold, But they're saying, well, I don't want to buy gold because Bitcoin is the new gold. I don't really want to buy Bitcoin, but I'm worried about buying gold if, you know, Bitcoin is going to steal its thunder. So maybe it's preventing people from buying gold. They're not buying Bitcoin either, but they're not buying gold. But there probably are some uh, investors that are buying Bitcoin instead of gold. I think it's unfortunate they're going to lose a lot of money. In fact, I think one of the reasons that some of the hedge funds may have an interest in Bitcoin because it's moving up so much. And remember, hedge funds, they take 20% of the profits, but they mark the profits to market every quarter. And so if you've got a big bubble that keeps going up, even though you don't actually realize the profits by selling, because if you try to sell, the profits will evaporate, you can still charge your clients 20% of those paper profits and put real money in your pocket while your clients are just holding fake money. And so then when the bubble pops and all that paper profit evaporates and your clients have huge losses, you still have your actual incentive fee. The money that you charged on the way up, you get to keep that. That's real money. You took those chips off the table while you left all your clients' money totally at risk on the table. And so your clients end up getting wiped out, but you still end up with a pretty good uh, payday. So there's, there's some of that going on where you have an incentive for people who are managing other people's money to put other people's money at risk and then get paid as they mark the bubble higher, uh, but have nothing on the table of their own when the air comes out. But um, if this guy is right, if Kevin Warsh is actually right, and Bitcoin is in fact stealing some demand from gold, and if because of Bitcoin, the price of gold is lower than it otherwise would be, here's the irony. This is music to the ears of central bankers. Central bankers love this. If Bitcoin is the reason that gold isn't going up, then Bitcoin is the Fed's best friend. The irony of it is all these Bitcoin guys are so anti-Fed and anti-central banks, and they think Bitcoin is going to take down the Federal Reserve. No, it's not. The Federal Reserve doesn't care about Bitcoin. The Federal Reserve cares about gold. What scares these guys the most would be the price of gold really going up, because that would show uh, that their ability to print money is coming to an end, that the party is over, right? Gold is the canary in that coal mine. But to the extent that people are focusing on Bitcoin, well, then, you know, then the canary is not going to drop dead and they can continue to gas the miners. And so that is what's going on. That may be one of the reasons that the regulators are not anxious to prick 
the Bitcoin bubble. They're just going to let it deflate before they really start to regulate it. Because in the meantime, Bitcoin may be doing the Fed's dirty work by helping to take attention away from gold. They can keep on printing money and get away with it. But if there wasn't Bitcoin and gold price was higher, maybe this would be putting uh, more pressure on the Fed. So that's the irony that these Bitcoin guys think they're taking down the system when they're really helping to preserve the system. What's going to take down this phony system is going to be gold, real money, not a digital version of fiat money. Now, we also got some economic news today, kind of lost in the shuffle. There's so much stuff going on. People probably didn't even pay attention to the economic news. But this is the first uh, week of a new month, which means we get the non-farm payroll numbers on Friday, which means we got the ADP employment report today. And the consensus was for a relatively weak report 130,000 jobs were supposed to be created. That would be a sharp deceleration from the 307,000 jobs created in November. Well, we did get a slight downward revision of November. Nothing you know, really big, down to 304,000. But the bad news came with the December number. It had a minus in front of it. Instead of positive 130,000, we were minus 123,000. So almost the mirror image to the negative of what the market was expecting. So that's bad news on the economy. And the other data points also came out weaker than expected today. You had the PMI composite index. This is for December. They were looking for 55.7. They got 55.3. That's way below the 58.6 that we had in November. Same thing uh, for the services. It was supposed to be 55.3. Instead, we got 54.8. Big slowdown from the 58.4 from November. So the economy is slowing down there. But the other news story that came out later in the day was the FOMC minutes. They came out at 2 o'clock Eastern time. And the big deal about the minutes was uh, the Fed discussing the idea of ultimately tapering its asset purchase program, which is what they did before, right? Reducing the size of their asset purchases. If you remember when they tried it before, we got the taper tantrum and the Fed had to back off and they really weren't able to follow through that until you had Trump in office and all the enthusiasm surrounding the anticipation of tax cuts and deregulation. Well, the idea that the Fed is going to be able to taper its asset purchase program is nonsense. They can't taper it. They're about to ratchet it up. They have to do that if they want to prevent interest rates from rising. And especially now that you have the Democrats that have control of the Senate and you know the fiscal stimulus is going to be even larger than it would have been had the Republicans held those seats. Now there's going to be a lot you know, bigger deficits. So the heavy lifting is going to have to be done by the Fed. They're going to have to print even more money. They are going to have to ratchet up the size of their asset purchases, not taper down. It's impossible to taper. In fact, the Chinese have beat them to the punch. It's the world that's tapering off on treasuries, which is why the Fed has no choice. Well, they do have a choice if they want to act responsibly. But since that's completely off the table, since we know they're going to be as reckless as they can, they kick the can down the road as long as they can, then they have no other option but to pick up the slack for the rest of the world and now pick up the slack for the bigger deficits that are going to come from a Democratic Congress and a Democratic president. And the deficits are going through the roof. The balance sheet is going to blow through $10 trillion this year in 2021. I mean, we're headed for infinity and beyond. That's what the currency markets are beginning to smell. That's what the bond markets, commodity markets, it's all happening. And in fact, all the things that I've been warning about on this podcast and before I started this podcast, all the warnings I've been issuing for years and years and years, It's all about to play out, except it's going to play out in a bigger way. You know, there is far more to reckon with. We have delayed the day of reckoning for over a decade. But in doing that, all the problems that I knew we would have to reckon with have gotten much larger, which means we have a much bigger reckoning, which means the collapse of the dollar is going to be much greater, which means the risk to Americans is much greater and the urgency for doing something to protect yourself against this massive inflation tax has never been greater. 
And and so people, again, if you have been listening to this podcast and you still haven't taken action, it's not too late. But one of these days, it will be too late. Before it is, do something. Get out of dollars. Get out of U.S. treasuries or any U.S. dollar denominated bonds. Get out of overpriced U.S. stocks. You need to get into foreign stocks, inflation hedges, precious metals. You need to talk to one of the representatives at Europe Pacific Capital. You need to talk to one of my guys at Shift Gold. You need to do something and you need to do something now. You just can't sit there helplessly. You've got to take action to help yourselves. I can bring you to the water, but I can't make you drink. Only you can do that. But I want to finish up today's podcast by talking about the events that transpired late this afternoon in Washington, D.C., because this was the day that they were going to certify the results of the election or the Electoral College and pretty much formally uh, name Joe Biden as the president of the United States. We have just under two weeks left before the inauguration of, of Joe Biden. And so there are a lot of people in the United States, rightly or wrongly, who believe that the election was rigged, that it was a fraud, that Trump actually won. In fact, Trump himself continues to claim that not only did he win, but that he won in a landslide. He didn't win a narrow election. He won in a landslide and the election was stolen, uh, that there was fraud, that there was cheating. And again, I'm not even going to talk about whether or not it's true. Maybe there was some cheating going on. Maybe there was some fraud. I mean, I'm sure there's cheating and fraud in every election. Whether there was more of it this time, probably. It's probably a, a progression, right? And, you know, I think there's a lot of dishonest people in politics. So why would I assume that they're dishonest, you know, you know, after they get elected, but they're not dishonest to get elected or that some of the voters aren't? So I'm sure there's fraud going on. I just don't know how much more pervasive it was. Certainly, there was a lot more absentee ballots uh, during this election than in previous elections. There's obviously more room for fraud when people aren't voting in person. Um, uh, so obviously there could be some points, but the problem is there is no objective proof that has been brought before a court, right? Including Republican judges where they have seen anything where they can invalidate the results. But the fact is people believe what they believe. And because of this, you had a big protest on Capitol Hill, right up to the Capitol. There were a lot of people there to protest uh, what they believed to be a stolen election. And do they have a right to protest? Absolutely. Were they protesting in the proper venue? Of course, they were going to Congress, right, where uh, the electors are certifying the results of an election that they believe to be a fraud, that even the president of the United States is saying was a rigged election. And so they're there to protest. Now, did the protests get out of hand? Yes. I mean, people unlawfully gained access to the Capitol. They broke through barriers. They went into the building. Um, you know, now it's not like this was an armed militia, right? I'm listening to the coverage and they're talking about this as if it's a coup d'etat, right? As if there's a violent overthrow of the American government. These are not soldiers marching on Washington, D.C. These are American citizens who by and large are peacefully protesting. Now, are some of the protesters acting uh, inappropriately? Are some of them breaking the law? Clearly, Right. I mean, that happens at a lot of protests. You get a lot of people together. Right. And then things happen that maybe you don't plan. And I'm not condoning people uh, unlawfully, uh, you know, gaining access to uh, the Capitol or rooms in the Capitol. But again, this is not a violent mob. I understand there was a woman who was shot and died. I don't really have any of the facts as I'm recording this. I don't have any real details about who this woman was, the circumstances under which she was shot, who shot her. Uh, clearly, it's tragic when somebody dies. Again, I don't know uh, the circumstances. And I don't want to minimize uh, her death, but it's one person. Again, I don't want to diminish the life of that one person. But the point is that the commentators on television are describing this in terms that is completely out of proportion to what is actually going on. They're saying this is the darkest day in American history. This is the worst day ever for America. You know, we can't believe this. I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean, it's not even the darkest day going back to the George Floyd protests, right? The uh, Black Lives Matter protests. They were far worse than this. But the media 
is so much more outraged by what they're seeing now than what they saw back then, when this is far more appropriate. First of all, people are protesting an election, right? That is that is your most basic right to protest. They're saying, hey, the election was stolen. It was rigged. There was fraud here, right? So if you truly believe that, then yeah, you should be on Washington, D.C. You should be protesting, right? What these people are not doing, they're not looting, they're not rioting. They're not vandalizing property. They're not breaking into stores in Washington, D.C. They're not burning down stores. They're not looting and stealing all sorts of merchandise because they're pissed off that the election was stolen. No, they are just protesting the event and they're bringing the protest to their elected leaders. Compare this to what happened after George Floyd uh, died, right? Even if you believe that he was murdered by the police, and I don't need to go back into the circumstances surrounding George Floyd's death. The point I want to make is that the people who were protesting that, when they took that protest to the streets and decided to riot and loot, to destroy private property, to destroy businesses of people who had nothing to do with what happened to George Floyd. You had protests all over America, not just in the city where George Floyd died, but in every major city in the United States, people were looting. They were violent. They were There were a lot more than one person who died and people were being beat up and people were stealing all sorts of stuff. None of this was going on today in Washington, D.C. Yet the same reporters who sat back and watched all this reckless looting and rioting, right, they, they were nowhere near as outraged by that as they are by this, right? That is a complete double standard because here you have a bunch of Trump supporters with MAGA hats on and waving American flags and they're standing in Washington, D.C. and they are lawfully protesting something that they think is wrong and they are protesting it in the proper venue, right? Now, again, I'm not justifying the fact that some of these protesters, you know, broke the law, trespassed. Maybe there was a little bit of violence for some people. Let's keep it in perspective. I'm not condoning that. I am just contrasting this to what happened in the aftermath of George Floyd, which was completely inappropriate, very violent, and the violence was directed against people who had nothing to do with the death of George Floyd. Even if you believe that those police officers killed him, what does that have to do with proprietors of small businesses in other states, right? Who may even believe the same as you. They may have been just as outraged by what they believe happened to George Floyd, but that didn't stop people from looting their stores and stealing all their stuff and destroying their businesses, right? Destroying private property, businesses that people spent their lives uh, you know, developing and they sacrificed and now they're burned to the ground or looted and that conduct, well, that that's okay. That's not the darkest day in American history, but you have some Republicans with uh, don't tread on me flags, you know, in front of the Capitol or some of them in the Capitol. So this again is the double standard. I know a lot of people, because I put out a tweet about this and people want to attack me for calling out the hypocrisy. And again, I don't condone, when people break the law, I don't condone it. I understand the rationale for it. And I think it's a good thing, right? We want Americans to be able to protest. We don't want people locked up for expressing uh, outrage at something that they believe to be a injustice. But the media, again, just like they used the events surrounding George Floyd to try to paint America with this racist brush and, and, and use it to drive this narrative that America is a racist society and we have systemic racism. They're doing the same thing here because they're using this to further villainize Donald Trump. And again, I just started this podcast. I am not the biggest Donald Trump fan out there, right? People think that, oh, I'm just supporting Donald Trump every time he does something. I don't. I'm very disappointed in Donald Trump. I'm calling out Donald Trump when I think he does something wrong. But the media is trying to make the problem far worse than it actually is. And what really is so frustrating to me is to see all these people so upset, right? Because they think their champion 
has been unfairly ousted from office because they believe he was draining the swamp, right? He was a threat to the status quo. He was making America great again. He was a conservative champion of the free market. He was anti-Fed. He was anti-fiat money. He wanted, you know, he wanted, wanted to, he was a conservative champion. He was none of those things. I mean, I wish at least we had all these people coalescing around a guy that actually did what he was pretending to do instead of a false prophet, which is what Donald Trump is. But the media is now able to make it even worse and further discredit everything that Donald Trump supposedly stands for, right? Free markets, less government, deregulation, all that is being further vilified by the way they are covering these protests in Washington, D.C., and they are laying the foundation again to push the country further and further to the left into the waiting arms of a socialist embrace, and Donald Trump is on the other side pushing in the same direction. You know, in fact, I think one of the ways the Democrats are going to try to exploit the protests, in particular, the way the media is covering it. And again, you know, I'm not condoning the fact that the protesters, you know, broke into the Capitol. Uh, They shouldn't have done that. The protests should have stayed outside. Uh, But the way I think they're going to exploit this is to try to use it as a way to go after the Electoral College, which is one of the goals. The Democrats have said they want to abolish the Electoral College. Now, why do they want to do that? Right? They say it's undemocratic, which of course it is. The entire Constitution was written to be undemocratic. The founding fathers did not like democracy. They called it mobocracy. That's why the United States is a republic. That's what the Constitution says it is. The word democracy does not appear in the Constitution. It does not appear in the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, any of our founding documents. You know, if you cite the Pledge of Allegiance, it's to the republic for which it stands, not to the democracy. So yes, the Electoral College is undemocratic by design, but I think this is putting the Electoral College in a bad light And to the extent that Republicans now somehow think the Electoral College let them down uh, because, you know, Congress isn't somehow overturning uh, the the electors and and, and the results of, uh, of the election, it could leave an opening for the Democrats to try to get rid of it. Now, they can't do it by law. They need a constitutional amendment. You need to amend the Constitution to change the way the president is elected. But this might help drum up uh, the support to uh, to actually do that. Now, of course, this would be suicide for the smaller states if they ever were to vote for it, because this is the only thing that's protecting them uh, from tyranny from the bigger states. Because if we went from a system of electors to just a flat democracy where you just count the votes and whoever wins the popular vote becomes the president. Well, forget about these small states. They're going to lose all of their political clout and they're going to be completely at the mercy of the more populous, larger states, which happen to be heavily democratic, like California, like New York. So if the conservatives are somehow pushing this to the point where it could backfire and cause a loss of the Electoral College, you don't want to protest the Electoral College. If you're conservative, if you want limited government, and you want to protest this election, do not protest the Electoral College. You want to maintain the Electoral College. You can protest at the state levels if you think the states were uh, not following the correct procedures and they allowed some of the people to vote who shouldn't have voted, right? If there were some irregularities at the poll, you can attack that, but be very careful not to attack the Electoral College, that principle, because we need to defend that, because that's the real firewall. And if that firewall goes, then the whole nation's gonna burn.